And as they exit, turn with me to 1 John 4. We're going to be looking at 1 John 4 today, verses 7 through 12. And uh, I tell you all this each week, and sometimes I don't follow through with it, but we're going to try to get you out of here in a timely fashion. The good news is Jimmy Moore is here, and I'm on a timer. When I used to preach at Idlewild, he'd always email me and tell me how long I went and should have finished 20 minutes, so I'm on a timer. I saw him back there, I thought, oh, there's pressure, there's pressure. And I will say, Jimmy Moore and his team put together all the technology and the electronics and all that we, we have here, and their, their team has been faithful to uh, serve us and have been very gracious. So thank you, uh, Jimmy and Mackenzie and Joy Moore there. So uh, they, they, they get our videos and do all kinds of stuff for us and help us out, make, make us look better than we are. So thank you very much. So. Well, we're, we're, we've been in a series on, on Advent, and we've looked at lo- joy, and we've looked at peace, and we've looked at hope. And we said that all of those are sourced in Christ. And we said that the, we showed how the world, in so many ways, what the world puts forth with regards to those things are really counterfeits. They're, they're based on externals. They're, they're circumstantial. That, that joy and peace and hope in the world's eyes, they're all based on as long as circumstances are well, as long as things are well, as long as our, as long as our, our happenstance is well, we're happy. As long as things are manageable, we have joy. As long as things are explainable and understandable, we have peace. And we looked at how the Bible doesn't speak to those things in that way. Our hope And our peace and our joy are all rooted in what Christ did for us at the cross. And not only that, they're rooted in the promise that one day He's coming back for us. We are His bride. He is preparing a place for us, John 14 says. While we wait, He's preparing a place. And while we wait, the Bible says we are to purify ourselves. We are purifying ourselves to be ready for our groom to return for us. And so we can have joy and peace and hope because of the truth of the Bible and the truth that our Savior is coming back for us. That in this world we will have great trouble, John 16, 33 says, but he says, be of good courage. I have overcome the world. And today we're going to finish this up by looking at love. And and we we live in a world that the word love is thrown around a lot. We quote-unquote love a lot of things. We love food. We love sports. We love movies. We love animals. We love work. We love people. It goes on and on. But, but, but my question is, do we truly... I'm not sure we truly mean love when we say that. I think our, our affections are great for those things. We're very fond of those things. But if, as we look today at the biblical definition of love, I, I believe we're going to see that it's simply that our affections are high for those things, that we really don't love them the way that the Bible defines love. That in comparison to the way that we've been loved with Christ, by Christ and, and what Christ calls us, how He calls us to love, we, those things fall woefully short. We're simply fond of those things. We're affectionate toward those things. And if we will allow, I want us to allow our definition of love, our, our perception of what real love is and looks like, I want us to allow this morning the Bible 
to define that. The Bible to speak to that. What real love is. Because we will get a much different picture when we stop and allow the Bible to define the terms. Just like we've done with hope, and we've done with peace, and we've done with joy. Let's allow the Bible to define it. Let's understand where it's sourced. Let's understand what it looks like. Let's understand what it is. And that's what I want to do today. I want to define what we're talking about. I, I want to show us where it's found. I want to show us what it looks like and also what it demands of us. I, I want to connect God's love for us to our love for Him and others. I want to connect God's love for us and what that means and how we relate not only to Him but to one another. There's a response. And the passage here that we're going to look at makes that clear. And our response tells on us. And how we can lie to ourselves. We can deceive ourselves into thinking that we're something that we're not. Love begins with God, flows to us through Christ, and then it is to flow into the lives of those around us. It begins with God. We're going to see today He's love. It flows to us through Christ but it is to flow from us into the lives of those around us. It does not end with us. Look with me at 1 first, first John 4. I want to read our passage. 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. That word propitiation, it means satisfactory payment. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Lord, as we open up Your Word, Lord, I, help you, I pray that You would allow us to just innocently, without pretense, without any filters, allow this Word to speak to our hearts. Lord, don't allow any circumstances to get in the way. Lord, remove all uh, ifs, buts, anything that would hinder us from seeing this passage clearly. Anything that would hinder us from uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to, to search our hearts and our minds and apply this word to us clearly. Lord, give us the boldness to to honestly look at our lives and say, is this the way I love others? And if not, allow us to ask the honest question, have I really fallen upon the love of God alone for my salvation that's through Jesus Christ? Do I really understand the, the forgiveness that you've shown to us, offered to us through the blood of Jesus Christ? Lord, help us to ask these questions of ourselves honestly. Don't, don't, don't allow us to think, well, such and such needs to hear this, or such and such, I hope they heard that. No, we all need to hear this. Lord, apply it to our own lives first. 
And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Let's start by looking, you see on your handout there, what love is. What love is. John very clearly in verses 7 and 8 explains it. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. It's interesting how John structures the Greek here, and I think we've done a great job in the English of capturing it. Notice, but I'm afraid when we are reading it, we just pass, pass right over it. Because how, how does this passage begin? How does that statement begin? Beloved. Literally, literally what he's saying there is, loved ones, let us love. He's reminding you right off the bat, you who are a believer in Christ have been loved. You are a recipient of great love. There's already been a deposit made in your heart, and the deposit is entitled love. And he's reminding them of this fact. They've been loved. Love begins with God. It was irrespective of us. It's come to us individually. Our relationship with God was initiated by God. We didn't deserve it. We didn't warrant it. We didn't even ask for it. God initiated it. And He sent His Son to die on the cross. He initiated that. It wasn't like God scrambled around and that was the only... It wasn't like He had exhausted all other recourses and He said, well, I guess it's going to come down to Jesus. I guess... No, no, hey. He initiated it. And John starts right off the bat and says, look, you are in a position of having a deposit made in your heart, and that deposit is love. For a believer, there ought to be no struggle with with finding love. Why? Because we have a deposit in our heart from God, and it's love. He has loved us when we were completely undeserving. It was completely unwarranted. John goes on in verse 8 to say something that's even more profound. He says, God is not simply a loving God. He says, God is love. Love is not just something that He displays. Love is who He is. Love flows from God because God is love. Look look over at John 4, 16. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. If God is abiding in you today, believer, there is a deposit of love. It's love. And when I say this, when I say God is love, we've got to be real careful not to fall in the trap of subordinating all of, other, all of God's other characteristics to love. We, we fall in the trap of just saying, oh, well, God is love, so I can go do whatever I want to do. God is love, so I get to do this. He's not going to punish. There, there must not be any wrath, no justice. No, no, all of those are at the, at the same time that God is love. He's all of those things. But all of those things are motivated. Understand this, the core motivation, love. Hebrews 12 explains even God's disciplining of believers is motivated by what? Love. For whoever God loves, He disciplines. Love. You know, Psalm 5, 5 says that God hates all who do do iniquity. At the same time that He loves and sent His Son, He hates the iniquity. 
It says he abhors all who, who, all who run to bloodshed. And here's the point. Don't for one second think the fact that God is love, that that lowers his standard of holiness. God, the fact that he's love, does not lower the standard. It doesn't excuse or pardon our sin in and of itself. It doesn't mean that we're all going to heaven. It doesn't mean that anything goes. It's the fact that God is love. That is what motivated Him to deal with our sin and to send His Son to die for our sin. It was motivated by love. Because He loves. Jesus dying on the cross and, and, and paying the penalty, re removing the debt that we deserve to pay and to deal with ourselves was motivated by love. He did that for you, He did that for me, but He also did that for Him. For himself, because he, he was worthy of it. He was glorified in that. It was a display of his love. When you see the cross, it tells me, God who did that is a God of love. He did that for me, he did that for you. He did that for the whole world, John says. John 2, 1, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours only, but the sins of the whole world. You look over in 1 Peter 2, it says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. What does it say? God, God sent His Son to die on the cross for even those people who are going to spend their lives persecuting Him. He still put His Son on the cross for them. That's how great the love of God is. God, God's love doesn't excuse sin. It doesn't pardon sin. Paul said in Romans 6, they, their argument was, hey, well, if, if my sin shows off the grace of God, let's sin all the more. And what did Paul say? By no means. That's an abuse. But it is a true statement. God is love. And that love motivates Him. And, and what it means is the nature of God, the underwriting nature of God is love. For God so what the world? Love the world. It was motivated by love. And it's not simply that he loves. He is love. I, I can be loving sometimes, Karen would say, but she would never say, Chris is love. Because unfortunately, because of sin, there's a whole bunch of other stuff. It's like, spin, you know, you, you shake this thing up and you don't know what you're going to get sometimes with Chris. You might get love sometimes, but you don't get love all the time. With God, no matter what it is, no matter what you're going through, no matter what the circumstances say, no matter how you feel, love is at the core. He's motivated by love. Everything God does is rooted in His love. Rooted. Everything that we know, everything that the world knows about love has come from the fact that God is love and He has revealed love to us. He says, this is love. Not, not that we would have known it. He's shown it. He made the world. He made people. He, he, he rules His creation. The details in our life. The, the hairs on our head. The number of our days. The fact that Hebrews says that He carries the world to its appointed destination. E even circumstances in our life that are less than pleasurable. God is still loving. No less loving. 
And the reality is, when we hear that, there are so many counterfeits. There's so many counterfeits out there, so many pretenders of love. So many things in this world that we call love that fall so short of biblical love, you know, kindness, doing good, withholding evil. There, there are great, great things going on out there, but they're counterfeits. And, and when we come to God, we've suffered so much from counterfeits. When we come to God, we place all those counterfeits and all those expectations and disappointments on God. And we think that He loves, He must love the way that everybody else loves. And that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, on this earth, we, we, we live by a system where love has to be earned. Not in the Bible. We, we live in a system where, hey, as long as you might love me back, I'll love you. Not in the Bible. Hey, as long as it's warranted, I'll love you. Not in the Bible. As long as it's convenient, not in the Bible. As long as it doesn't come with a humongous price tag, not in the Bible. All those are counterfeits of love. Expecting to earn it, we, we come to God. I must have to earn His love, not in the Bible. Oh, I got to do good to keep His love, not in the Bible. And again, that doesn't mean we go off and live the way we want to live. It does mean that God's love for us is foreign. It's greater. 1 John 3, 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we will be called children of God and such we are. That word, see how great, it literally means foreign. My, my voice right now to Karina is foreign. She doesn't understand it. That, that is a picture of the way that God's love is to us. It is so immense it is so great. It is so beyond comprehension. It's so different than anything we've ever seen. We don't comprehend it. Why he, why he adopted Chris Basham, I know y'all are surprised that he would adopt me. You're not nearly as surprised as I am. Y'all don't know me as well as I know me. And a lot of times, the what I know of me, I don't even like myself. Much less think that God would send His Son to die for me and adopt me and then assume responsibility of taking care for me. It's crazy. The, the world's love comes with all kinds of if statements. If you do this, then I will do this. You don't find them here. You don't find them. God's love is not like that of the world. It's free, it's unprompted, it's spontaneous. There's nothing we can do to cause God to love us. There's nothing we can do to prevent God from loving us. He loves us because He is God. My actions do not cause Him to love me or not love me more or less. It may cause me to not sense that love. It may destroy my fellowship and, and the, the sense of that love no more than, you know what, if I'm, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do as a parent, I enjoy my marriage better. If I'm acting like a, a, a goofball... Guess what? I don't enjoy my marriage as much. I'm still married. I, I just don't experience it the way that I do other times. That's the same with God's love. It's not that it's not there. You're just not experiencing it because of sin. Because of doubt. Because of fear. All those things interfere. But, but God loves us. Look at 2 Timothy 1.9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Look at this. Not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. 
It was motivated by God himself, not me. It wasn't, oh, you know what? Chris will be, Chris, I, I see a lot of potential in Chris. I'll save Chris. No, I'm going to save Chris in spite of his potential. And then, you know what? I'm going to put the Holy Spirit in him and give him the potential. Look, look at Ephesians 1.5. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of who? His will. It wasn't anything I did. It wasn't anything you did. Because God is that loving. And, and as odd as it might sound, God's definition of love is himself. You want to know what real love is? Look at God. You know what real love looks like? Read your word and look at how God acts to his children, even to those who are his, who his enemies. Matthew 5.45 says, The rain falls on the just and the unjust. If I was God, only Christians' grass would be green. It'd be a clear mark. You drive through neighborhoods, clearly not a Christian. Look at that, look at that grass, brown as can be. God says, I'm going to let my rain fall on the just and the unjust. We saw it in 2 Peter. I'm going to send my son to die for those who are never, ever, ever going to call upon the name of the Lord for salvation, but I'm still going to send my son to die for him. That's unfathomable. God defines, God himself defines what perfect love is and looks like, not us. My, my view of love cannot be imposed upon God to define God. He's not bound by my standards. He's not bound by my expectations of what love is. He is love. He is bound only to himself. He's love. All the time, no matter what, he will not contradict the fact that he's love. He's love. And, and, and if we would look to God and know God, we would understand what love looks like, what it really is. We, we, we cannot offer anything to God that he does not already possess. He's love. He, he loves us simply because that was his plan and it was an expression of himself. It literally overflows even of himself. He's, he wanted to show it. Th that's how we know that he's loved because he acted. And we have the capacity to love and we know what love is because God revealed himself by loving us. That's how we can know what love is because We've seen it. He loved us. We would have no understanding of it. it we, would, we would simply rely on these, these woefully short, woefully just um, ins, insignificant definitions of love that exist in the world. But God says, no, I'm going to show you what real love is. And love is the essence of who God is. And, and we have to, our response is to simply trust. We have to trust when it comes to how God chooses to display His love, how He chooses to show His love for all of humanity, our job is to trust. There are circumstances in your life, there are circumstances in my life that don't necessarily look like what I would call love, but at the core of all of it, God is no less loving. No less loving. And if we would understand that, if we would trust Him and understand Him, our job is to believe Him, not to question Him. It's to look and see true love. So please grasp that as we move on. The, the great love that God has shown for us. And that He is love. And that no matter what you face, one thing you do not need to question is His love. If you're ever wondering about His love, look to the cross. Forever a display of God's love. So, so not only what love is, 
It's God and Himself and His nature and His character and all that He is. But what love looks like. What love looks like. Look at verse 9. By this, the love of God was manifested. The word manifest means to be revealed, to be shown (coughs) in us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You want to know what love looks like? Look to the cross. It is a picture of true, real, supreme, perfect love. It is the utmost display of the love of God, the cross. Again, if you wonder if God loves you, look to the cross. And my ability, my capacity to love at all is an overflow of God's love for me first. I have got to realize and understand and comprehend. Just like in Ephesians 3, Paul says in verses 14 through 21, his prayer was that you would understand what is the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of what? The love of God. The love of God. It starts there. Understanding that he loved me first. In Luke, you see, you see the, the, the individual who is having a hard time forgiving. He says, God, Jesus says what? He who forgives little, loves little. When I realized that how much sin God forgave me and continues to forgive me of, how much He loves me in spite of me, it ought to overflow into the lives of those around me. I ought not to be like the guy in Matthew 18 who is a recipient of a huge forgiveness of debt and then goes and holds you responsible for a tiny debt. That's a failure to understand the love of God. And God's love is supremely visible in the person of Jesus Christ. And and again, this was a God-initiated act. It wasn't forced. It wasn't coerced. It wasn't tied to anything. There was no fine print. There was no strings attached. I mean, look, look just in 1 John. Just in 1 John, flip around with me and look at the definitions and you see... The, the, that, the, that the cross is the supreme picture of love. 1 John 1, 7. And you're going to have to flip over in your own Bible. I did not give these to the tech guys. So just flip in your own Bible. It'll, it'll do some of us good to turn some of the pages. Hear those pages ruffling. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus. 1 John 2, 2, and He Himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for those of the whole world. Again, Jesus, satisfactory payment. 1 John 3, 5, you know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. The only way sins are removed is through the blood of Jesus. 1 John 3, 16, we know love by this, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. How do we know love? God showed it in the cross. He laid down His life for us. 1 John 4, 14. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. There's no questions. Love is found in the cross. And, and Christ was not only God's Son, He's the Savior of the world. And God sent Him in love. There is no way that we get to God except through Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, just like the video we saw. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And, and this is, there are some things here that, that we learn when we look at the cross that teaches us about God's love. And the first is this. God's perfect love is unconditional. 
If we're going to love as God's loved, it's got to be an unconditional love. It, it doesn't depend on my perfection. It doesn't depend on my achievement. It, it's, 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 not that, it's not that it's not concerned with sin. It just doesn't comp- sin just doesn't compromise His love for me. He keeps on loving us in spite of our sin because it's based upon a choice. It's unconditional. It's not, oh, well, they're worthy of it. They deserve it. I'll love them. No, it's unconditional. We've seen it before, Romans 8. But God demonstrates His love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't clean up your act and then I'll die for you. Romans 5.10 says that He died while we were His enemies. Not just sinners, enemies. And God's love, God's perfect love is an in spite of kind of love. He loves us in spite of us. He, from, a, from a human standpoint, God had every reason not to love us from a human standpoint, and yet He loved us anyway. We weren't worthy of it. We didn't deserve it. We, 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 we would turn away and don't thank Him. We treat it lightly. We presuppose upon it, and yet He still loves us. It's unconditional. But not only is it unconditional, it's sacrificial. Uh, look, look at John 5, 15, 13. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. Well, guess what? Romans 5, 8 and Romans 5, 10 says, I didn't even qualify as a friend. I wasn't even a friend. I was an enemy. I was a sinner. I was a hater of God. And yet he said, I, Jesus died for Chris Basham. Oh, and by the way, the whole world. God, God took that verse and said, I, I went even further than that. And in a sense, yeah, the Bible does call us friends, but we weren't good ones. Look at Matthew 20, 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. He, he, he died sacrificially. He paid the ransom that was warranted by my sin and your sin. God gave up His Son for you and for me. It was sacrificial. God's love is unconditional, it's sacrificial, and God's love is personal. It's personal. He he didn't only do it for Himself to present a bride for His Son. He did it for you and me personally. J.I. Packer said the following, and I want to read it. He's smarter than I am, so I'm I'm just going to read it. J.I. Packer said this, What matters supremely is not the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, that He knows me. I am graven on the palms of His hands. I am never out of His mind. All of my knowledge of Him depends on His sustained initiative in knowing me. I know Him because He first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me, And there is no moment when his eye is off of me or his attention is distracted from me and no moment, therefore, when his care falters. He goes on to say, There is unspeakable comfort in knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my good. There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me. That's what strikes me about God's love. It wasn't that God didn't know who I was. 
there, there are always times in our lives where people may surprise us with their behavior. Not the case with God. There, there are no skeletons that are come out of Chris's closet. You're not, no one, Satan is never going to bring anything up to God that God didn't know about already. And he says, I knew that already. I still loved him. Jeremiah says, I don't even know my own heart. Guess what? God formed my heart. He knows it. And in spite of that, he says, I love him. There, I mean, based on every point of, on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery now can disillusion him about me in the way that I am so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. Strong statement, but it's accurate. And if you doubt that, look to the cross. Christ was a demonstration of God's love. My love for God, therefore, is an overflow of His love for me. He first loved me. Christ was a demonstration, and then my love for God is an overflow of that. And my love for you is an overflow of that. So perfect love is, first of all, unconditional. It's sacrificial, and it's, and it's personal. I, I love what 1 Peter 3, 7, in regards to husbands, it says... Likewise, you husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. You know what that tells me? I don't get to love Karen the way that I think I should love Karen. My job is to love Karen in the way that Karen needs to be loved. It's personal. It's not, hey, I'm just going to love you and you take what you like and throw away what you don't like and sorry if it doesn't match up. No, it says I'm going to understand my wife and I'm going to love her specific to her. That's exactly what God did. Because he says, in the same way. He goes all the way back to 1 Peter 2. Husbands, that's the call. It's personal. It's sacrificial. It's unconditional. That's what it is. And if you want to know what love is, look to God. Lastly, what love produces. Look at verses 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Notice, God's love caused Him to act on behalf of others, did it not? It motivated Him to act. And there is a tremendous lesson there to be learned. God first loved me, now I have the capacity to love others. But it starts in recognizing and have a deposit of love from God. My, my love for others is an overflow of God's love for me. You show me a Christian, a supposed Christian, a so-called Christian who doesn't love others. Number one, I'm going to wonder if they're really a Christian. Number, according to this passage and, and, and the whole section. Number two, I'm going to tell you they don't really understand the way they've been loved. They failed to, if they are a believer, they have failed to, love, to understand how greatly God has loved them. They have vastly underestimated their sin. They have vastly underestimated how much they've been forgiven. And in doing so, if, I, if, if, if John Cordova came to me and said, Hey Chris, I'm going to be gracious to you today and I'm going to pay off your mortgage. If I thought my mortgage was only $10,000, my, my appreciation of his gift is going to be what? $10,000. But if I understand that my mortgage is more than $10,000... My appreciation just grew because I understand the debt and I understand that it's a 30-year mortgage and it was going to take me 30 years and about 8 million payments to pay it off. 
But if I think, hey, I got this, I was going to pay it off in a couple weeks, my appreciation of John's gift is, and it's the same with God. Until we understand how great our sin was, how, how much His love cost Him, how great a love He's bestowed upon us, we won't love others. Why? Because we think we deserved it. And we'll love others about proportionate to what we've received from God. But my love is to be of overflow. It's to be an overflow. I mean, think about it. If we only love those who are lovable, if we only love those who deserve love, Jesus says, the world does that. You're acting like the world. Look at 1 John 3.14. He says, we know that we have passed... We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. What's the evidence of salvation? Love for the brethren. Look at John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Look at this. By this all men will know you are my disciples if you have a love for one another. What's the proof of the pudding? Love. Love. It's love for the brethren. That's the proof. Our love for one another is the proof that we're proof that we're Christians. The, the, word, the word perfect here, it literally means complete or whole. It, it carries out this meaning to carry something to the max, to max it out. The, the, God has loved us. The fulfillment of that love is what? Is me loving others. That was the purpose. He has deposited all the resources in me in love, and he says, what? Go do likewise. Go, go make much of me by loving others. Romans 5.5, 5, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Poured out. Ephesians 1 says, see how great the love of the Lord has lavished upon you. Lavished. Crazy amounts. And that love is meant to be poured out in others. Look, look just in the context of 1 John of 1 John 4, look, look at a few passages. 1 John 2, 5 and 6. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Verse 10 and 11. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and he does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Verse 15. Do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Pretty clear. 1 John three fourteen. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Verse 16 through 18. We, very convicting passage. We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. What's the motivation? The fact that He laid down His life for us first. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. Uh, go down to chapter 4, verse 7. We, we, we read that in the context of our passage today. Verse 11 speaks to it. Verse 12 speaks to it. Look at chapter 4, verse 19. We love because He first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen 
cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. We cannot love God without loving others. Bottom line. You cannot say you love God without loving others. And we cannot love others without first loving God. In Matthew, I think it's 22, 38, they said, Hey, what's the teach us, Lord? He said, The greatest commandment is this. What? Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. My love for my neighbor is an overflow of my love for God first. And God's love for me spills out into the lives of those who are around me. And we only, as a human, I mean, I only have the capacity in and of myself to love people who are lovable and cute and warranted and all that other stuff. You know, you see a little puppy, every human, oh, we love little puppy, he's cute and lovable. But guess what? What about those that are not lovable? You know how, that's a, you know how that comes about in me? Through the love of God. That's not natural. Because that's exactly what God did. He loved the unlovable. And this love that we're called to is connected directly to knowing and obeying Christ. Knowing Christ grants us the love. It's the relationship with Him grants us the love. It's literally our way of being plugged in. It's our way of being plugged in so that we get the supply. And obeying Christ enables, to enjoy the, enables us to enjoy the fullness of that love. To experience that love. And true salvation, again, like I said, you're either not a believer or, you, or there's something blocking the flow of that love. And literally, what verse 12, look at verse 12, a crazy verse. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Our loving others is the display of God in us. Please understand that. God has organized this and arranged this so that God is seen to a world around us through how I love one another. That's how they see God. I'm a display. God's love is on full display in mine and your life, believer. And clearly... We cannot say that we love God and not love others, period. That, that's been clearly seen. But my love for others and their needs is an overflow. It's an overflow of my love for God. It's an overflow. As I'm filled up with the love of God, it pours out of me into the lives of those around me. But I've got to be filled up first. You can look at Ephesians 5.18. talks about being filled with the Spirit. That word literally means controlled. And then out of that, he says, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody with your hearts. And it talks about your speech, speaking the truth and love. And then he goes on to wives will submit, husbands will lead, children will obey, employers will, will be gracious, employers will work. All of that is an overflow of being filled with the Spirit. Never meant to be done on your own. I cannot love Karen the way that she deserves and the Bible calls her to be loved apart from me loving God first. I won't love her sacrificially. And she can't submit to me the way that, Christ, the, way that the church submits to Christ apart from her loving the Lord as well. It all is an overflow of being filled with the Spirit. And literally the unseen God becomes seen through our lives. 
in how we love one another. The unseen God becomes seen. Yesterday when we passed out bread, that was a picture. A picture. 250 loaves. Picture. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, he says, Be an imitator of God. The same thing that I've received, I'm to give out. I'm to imitate the way that I see God working through the Bible. I'm to imitate it. So, so let's bring this home real quick. It's, I, I've been up here for almost 40 minutes. Jimmy's, Jimmy, I'm watching the clock here tight. I got about two minutes before they're going to sound the alarm. I want to bring this home. Bring this home and make this real personal. I, I, want, I want to spend the next moments doing a self-inventory. What, what are you known for? If we had a chance to ask the people who are closest to you, that love you, that, are, that know you the best, what are you known for? How would people at your work describe you? How would people in your neighborhood describe you? How would people at the gym describe you? What, what does your life promote? What, what does your life promote? Who does your life promote? Is it about you? Or is it about others? Is it about you? Or is it about the Lord? What about this? Is it obvious to those around you that you're a follower of Christ through how you love others? Is it obvious? Is it obvious to those around you that you're a follower of Christ? Is there something odd about your life? In a good way. You could be odd for odd's sake. We're not looking to be odd for odd's sake. We're looking for be, I know some people that are just odd. I won't name them because some of them are in here. Just kidding. But is it obvious? Would others say, we saw in John 13, that 34 and 35, that the love of, of the brethren was the badge. Let me ask you, what would your badge say? If we as Christians were to, name a, were to wear a badge and it was supposed to say loving others, that was the badge? What's your badge say? Are you known for loving others? Do others see God through your life regularly? What about this? Do you tend to love unconditionally? Meaning when it's unwarranted? Meaning when it's unmerited? Or do you tend to love when, it's, when the other person is worthy of it? Do, do you tend to love sacrificially, meaning even when it's inconvenient, or, do you, or even when it hurts, even when it costs, or do you tend to love when it's convenient? Do, do you love personally, meaning in ways that the others need to be loved, or is it based on how you want to be loved? And again, that goes back to convenience and easy. And then what might these answers tell about yourself? It might be that you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It might be that there's a relationship there, but your lack of knowledge, your lack of intimacy, the lack of experiencing that relationship is not connected. You're not connected to the power source, therefore there's nothing flowing in your life to flow out into the lives of others. And the only way that happens is through the Word. Colossians 3.16, Let the Word of God richly dwell within you, literally overflowing. What, what might the answers tell about yourself? 
Might, might you have underestimated your sin? Might you have overestimated your worthiness of the cross? Maybe. Think about it.